welcome back to the Access to Education podcast, where we talk about everything having to do with special education and learning differences. As always on the show, I try to find experts and people who do different things to support our children in their fields. The listener, sorry, I'm going to start that all again because I decided to change it halfway through and that is never good. Welcome back to the Access to Education podcast, where we talk about everything having to do with special education and learning differences. As always on the show, I try to find experts in their fields to support you as the family, the listener, as you navigate a difficult road, which can bring bumps and turns. Today, the conversation will be about how to support students in both French language schools and French immersion alike. It's tough for parents who have a child with a learning difference if they are studying French. It can feel almost impossible to find support, to find tutors of those to find tutors of those who can support in their language of study. While looking for support for my own children, I came across Jenny Gray, the owner and creator of Watermelon Works. She has created a patented and multi-sensory program to help support struggling students in French. Her program supports both parents with their children, but also provides strategies for educators to use in the classroom. Jenny, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you here because anytime I can shine a light on the needs for struggling learners in French, because we know that the answer is not simply to move them to English. Um, I get really excited when I have that capacity to bring someone in. So welcome. And I'm so glad you're here. Bonjour. Hello. And I'm excited to be here as well. So I like to jump right into things. So let's have you start with um, kind of what made you want to create this program? Well, let, let's be honest here. I never started out thinking I was going to create a program. I graduated uh, university with my French linguistics and literature degree, simply because when I was at university, I needed to take something that I enjoyed, that I liked, that I thought I was good at. Um, because I was working full time. So I thought French works for me. I found out it really did work for me. Um, So then uh, when I graduated from the linguistics aspect of it, it was very, uh, university, you usually have like 28 credits and I think 21 of mine are in linguistics. So I, I very much enjoyed that aspect of my education. So language is your jam? It is. It absolutely is. Um, So, wow, sorry about that. But so what I did is when I first graduated, I was still had a full-time job. And one of my friends in the neighborhood said, Jen, I know you speak French. My kid's in French immersion. He's struggling. Can you help him? There's a bit of a family situation going on. We need, we just need to give him some one-on-one help. And I said, I'm not a teacher. And they said, but Jen, can you just help him? Just, just read. And I went, okay. So the very first student I took on, we just started practicing reading together. Well, then once you start teaching for one, another one calls you and says, hey, by the way, I know you're helping so-and-so because we live in a small town that is really small anymore. And, you know, if you're helping him, can you help my kid? Well, okay. Nobody told me Kevin came with dyslexia. Okay, they just said read with him. So we started with easy peasy scholastic books, you know, those Sammy books that are really easy, like one line of text, one picture. And 
they're somewhat decodable readers because it's the same sound on every page. Okay, so we went through that. And every time you turn the page, I'd say, Kevin, what does OI say? Well, I don't know. Well, like OI says what? So, okay, OI says what? All right, so read me this. And he could read it on that page. Turn the page. He had no idea what OI would say. And then I thought, how can we make this easier for him? Because clearly there's something else going on with him that's not just, hi, I'm in French. So then after telling his parents, look, I'm going to help him do reading through the rest of the course, like rest of the school year. I said, but over the summer, this is what I want to do. I want eight weeks and I just want to work on sounds with him. I know it sounds kind of strange. I know it's kind of weird. I said, but this is my training from school. So I want to see if this test works. And the dad goes, all right. And they're fairly educated people themselves. I like to believe that they're they're intelligent and they do a great job and they went, all right. But halfway through, they kind of went, what are you doing? And I went, no, no, stick with this. I promise you come September, I'll read books. I'll do everything else. Cause we did nothing but sounds all summer. And we would scaffold the sound each week. And so when he went back to school in September, back in the nineties, um, he was one of the first kids that could make dragon dictation actually work because mm. he could pronounce so in creating the method I did, he could decode absolutely every word. He got diagnosed with dyslexia and everyone thought, oh no, because the standard is, you know, get him out of French, put him in English, there's more support. And his parents were strong supporters for my child is going to be bilingual. So we worked together for three years and then they moved. Mm -hmm. And fairly north where I went, is there French there? We've put in this much effort. And they went, absolutely. So he went to a French first language high school. When he graduated high school, his mom called me and said, he just graduated on the honor roll. He got to go to college of his choosing in his field. He became a paramedic in BC. He's now an RCMP officer. Wow. So he's, he's why I do what I do. Right. But, and then it took me 10 years to decide to sell it. So I thought if this helps him, because I mean, how many kids are going to correct an adult about you're saying it wrong? Right. So I went to France. They complimented me on my French and my best friend decided, Jen, now is the time. Sell this. Because if you can help one child, how many more children can you help? And I went, yeah, but really, like, are you sure? And she goes, yeah. So well, there's so little of it. Right. I mean, as a parent of three children in French language, uh, and I live in a pretty big city. I live in Toronto. So like, it's not a small town. <laughs> uh, it has been a challenge to find French language support. Yep. So that's why I love the program that you have. And, you know, I feel silly every time I record these, but I sort of say, you know, we're teaching in pandemic and what we're learning from this is that a lot of this tutoring and support can actually be done in the virtual space with the same outcomes. So, you know, even though you don't live um, in the city where I am necessarily, it doesn't mean you can't connect with my kid to build their knowledge and support them in another way. So I think that's what's 
you know, it's, it's the, it's the culmination of two things coming together where there's a need to not be in the same space with each other all the time, but the ability for you, you know, to reach out and, and teach across the country, if that's kind of what it comes down to. It's what I do right now. I have students in BC. I have students, uh, Northern Ontario. I have helped educators in Saskatchewan. I it's, it's pretty humbling. Yeah. And it's awesome. I think it's awesome. And I, I think it's a great way to use the technology that, um, has been afforded to us for those of us who are lucky to have access to it, right? So let's talk about access because that's a, an important piece. Oh, absolutely. But I think it's it's so awesome. Well, thank you. So you touched on it, um, but is it ever too late to support a child in reading? So I'm thinking somebody's listening and their child is in grade nine and they're still struggling to read or their child is in first grade and they're struggling to read is a parent whose child in grade nine, you know, they should just think, forget it. You know, nothing we can do. We got to just use the technology that we have to read for them, to write for them, to do all of that. Or can you remediate even an adult in their reading? Yes, you can. Because they have most of the skills. They just need tweaking for parts of the skills right? So they need to learn what phonological awareness is, or phonological processing. They need to understand how to make the explicit teaching of letter sounds to make it become automatic L1 brain functioning, right? So any child can do it. I, I am not a master of the English language by any stretch. I assisted a student for the English language happens to be my cousin who I adore. Um, And he was in grade eight. Nobody had taught him how to read effectively in grade eight. He was at a grade two reading level. So his, his guardians and myself took it upon ourselves. We chose the SRA decoding series, just because I know some people in English, English vendor land, I guess you'd call it. Um, Because when you're on the circuit, you know, different people who do different skills. And I contacted my friend, Patty, who, who knew about SRA decoding series by McGraw Hill, fantastic program. So we started in November and we finished in June and we took him from a grade two level reading to a grade six. So it's never too late to learn. He now has a passion to learn. I don't do English to save my life. And the fact that it worked, amen. Well, and I think that that's the other important point to make that um, when it comes to the mechanics of reading, the language doesn't matter. Mm -mm. The way in which we read, we still read left to right. We still look for the coding within the letters to create the words. Those are the same, whether you're reading in French or Spanish or English. Italian. Yeah, it's having that that base, that foundational level of, oh, an A says ah, let's say in English, right? It can say other things. Do I understand what has to go together to make that different sound to create the word that I'm looking for out of all of these things? So, Well, Well, exactly. It's the alphabetic principle. So the way I explain it is the letter A has a nature and function. So it, this goes back to linguistic theory of soci- Ferdinand de Saussure. So there's a sign, the signifié and the signifiant. Signifié is the mental image 
where the significant is the, the actual sound component. So the mental image is the letter A, but the sound component, component is A. So that way you learn that it has a nature and a function. And so you have to learn both branches of that to be able to fluidly read and communicate. And that's so important for sure. So let's talk about phonological awareness though, to yep. start. Like let's start with, with one block. This is one tiny block. Um, there are a lot of parents who are going to be out there and say, yeah, 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 I've heard that word or, you know, the teacher said they don't have knowledge of whatever and I don't know what this means. So give us your understanding from a linguistic perspective of what is phonological awareness, because that's, I think, a crucial part to understand both for educators if they don't understand what it is, but also really for parents so that when they're reading with their children, they're not just reading, they're adding that other piece on at the same time. So to make it really oversimplified okay um which isn't in depth by any stretch but it's it's the ability to identify and manipulate the oral language so if you see a word you can see the word run okay and then to be able to manipulate it you would change that to what rhymes with run fun and it's all oral based right so then you what my mom used to do is run through the whole alphabet consonants with you and go bun, done. Oh, that's not spelled the same, but it sounds the same. Uh, gun, hun, lun, mun, nun, pun. And she would just go through like that, right? Um, so that could be partly where I get the whole language thing from. But it's just the ability to be able to identify and manipulate the language. That's what phonological awareness is. It's Nonsense words nonsense words as important as the actual words or do we need to only stick to the actual word oh no you need nonsense words you need to have fun with the language you need to understand okay it sounds fun to say it it, it looks good but then we need to correct okay you need to say okay as much as we know this is a nonsense word and it's fun i mean that's how language evolves but we need to correct them and say okay this is the real coding and this is how it really is. I'm just going to pause this for a second. My husband's yep. trying to get the kids to go outside and I can hear them all stomping around upstairs. So I'm going to mute my mic for just a minute while I wait for them to like exit the building. Because <laughs> it'll come through on the recording. Okay. I just called my husband. I'm like, are you guys, like, can you just there? They, so the, our back door is right here and they're all right here stomping to get out the door. And I'm like, can you like, can we just, 
do this faster <laughs> or just stay at the front of the house the front of the house. i can't hear you at the front of the house you don't have an egg crate room yet no i may have to create one eat a lot of eggs okay i'm gonna let it lag for a second i'm gonna go back to nonsense So in terms of nonsense words, I am beginning to see it with my own children who are doing a, a, an English reading program mm -hmm. where the incorporation of the nonsense words seems to be lighting the light bulb of, oh, when I say that, I could replace it with this word, which seems to somehow, although I thought it was a little bit backwards, actually seems to be able to allow them to understand how to break the words down more. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that way they learn how to, um, so that's more into the phonological processing, right? So okay. they, and that's just a fancy word of seeing, seeing words, hearing words and breaking it down into pieces, right? So if you give them a nonsense word, and I can't think of one right off the top of my head, but any kind of nonsense where it's like jibber jabber, right? Jibber jabber, right? And then they take another word and they're going blibber. Well, it sounds kind of like jibber. So, and they can kind of make nonsense of it and how to, how to exchange pieces of words. It, it's like a big puzzle. Right. How to put all the puzzle pieces together. Okay. And then understanding how those letters have different pieces that connect in the right way, right? If we're yes. going to keep using the, the puzzle analogy, one heart, one part has the whole that connects into the other one that creates the words. Yep. Okay. Got it. Now they all link. So I would Im imagine that there are a whole lot of combinations in English of this potential combination of letters. But I have a sense there's a whole heck of a lot more in French or is that just my view of it? That's your view of it. Okay. So uh, French and English have the same alphabet. Right. I do not focus or stress the consonants because they transfer from one language to another, mostly. Okay. There are some consonants that don't transfer the same. So CH, SH, they say the same thing. Right but not in English. Right. And SH does not usually show up in French. Okay. Uh, TH. In English, it says, th. in French, it says to. Right. Right. So there's, there's subtle differences with the, the consonants, but if you do them as individual consonants, and so usually for beginner learners, that's where I am, they are the same. Except for Q-U. Q-U right. says K in French, not Qu. Qu. So that's right. the only strong rule. So I think that's the important distinction to make for those families that have kids in French and English is that really because the alphabet is so much the same that the struggle they have in the one language will most likely be apparent in the other as well, right? Absolutely. It's a case of building the confidence in either or, whichever one you choose to Build. to build that once as you've said those foundations are built and the understanding of the letters and the sounds and kind of how they connect then the rest of it will come more easily and it's it's the confidence building that has to get there right yep so I focus more on vowels and how they're structured and there are a minimum 
70 different ways, but more or less 18 sounds. So when you break it down, 18 sounds. Really? 18 major sounds, vowel sounds. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. So you're not, I'm not playing with all the consonants. Right. But the way I structure it and for children to be successful, there are basically 18 different sounds. Interesting. So you mentioned it really quickly, but let's, let's, we don't have to take a deep dive into it, but maybe say it again in terms of, we've talked about phonological awareness, Mm -hmm. then phonological processing, because you need the awareness in order to be able to process the information. So why are they different and how do they connect or the same? Uh, They're different because phonological awareness means you're aware that there are words, there's syllables and that you can manipulate them. Whereas phonological processing is you hear the word, you see the word, you can break the word down into its sound units, right? So instead of going big picture of run, we'll use run again, you know, the word is run. So that's your awareness that there's two sounds, but the processing is you actually hear two different, you hear three Two sounds really, but there's three letters, right? And so you learn your letter sound correspondences. So understanding that U says uh and N says N, mm-hmm. just stick those two together to get the processing mm-hmm. of, okay, together it says un. So if I know that the consonant R says er, then I can join together the un sound and create my word. And then I've got my two parts. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. I like, I like using, um, sort of simple short words because it makes it easier to understand. We could get into more, we could get into like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and then that's a whole other thing, right? So, well, exactly. And then there's all semantics thrown in there and. Right. So language is hard, right? Like let's, let's acknowledge language is hard to learn, right? And especially when it's not a language that is the first language. So when we think of first language, we think of the language in which you were born into. So the language that your parents spoke to you from the very minute you were born, that is sort of considered your first language. And when you had a second or even a third language, because I know lots of kids who are, who are learning more than one language, um, it, it can be a little bit tricky. However, I will caveat that to say that when the languages are similar, so French and English, English and Spanish, Spanish and Italian, all of those kind of languages that are built, as you said, to, on the same alphabet, it's a little bit less difficult, right? Yep. The Romance languages are, are all very similar. So French, Spanish, Italian. Yeah. Very, very similar. I would even, well, maybe not. Maybe I won't say that on air. But, <laughs> Fair enough. But, but, but what is very similar about those three intentionally is the orthographic mapping. Okay. So, and that is a huge new buzzword, new frame. Lots of parents have heard it and it sounds kind of scary, but ortho just means spelling and graphic means the visual, right? And so how you visually map your words because orthographic mapping, it takes into the the visual, the, the sound and the coding, right? So it's basically the code of the language. So when you see this cluster, this is what it's going to say, right? And this cluster, the way it's written has certain coding in it. So, you know, whether it's masculine, feminine, singular, plural, um, what tense of a verb, it's got that kind of coding. I just spent this week with my son doing uh, l'imparfait all week 
Lane Parfait so <laughs> has never been my favorite. Let's just put it out there. Lane Parfait oh. has never been my favorite. <laughs> oh, but once you know the code. I, well, yes, but you know, anyhow. So speaking of codes, let's, let's talk about codes for a minute though, because you talked about a decodable book at the beginning of this. Okay. SRA decoding. Yep. Yep. So talk to me about what is a decodable book versus what is not a decodable book? Because I think that teachers, and I know I've certainly done it, have thrown around the book. Oh, you just need to get your kid to read this decodable book. But I don't talk about what is the decodable book and why is it that I want to use it? Um, And maybe if parents are looking for books to read with their kids and the teachers say, oh, go find a decodable book. Let's talk about what is a decodable book and why is it important to the understanding of reading? So a decodable book sticks to certain sounds in the entire book, right? So I, I happen to write decodable books because that, that's my specialty. So I'm going to talk about Luc et Lucie. So most of that book is the U sound. Luc a bu de l'eau. Uh, Lucie porte une jupe. Luke thought des lunettes. So it's all about the ooh sound repeated. That's what makes it decodable. It's not decodable just because il y a un magasin, il y a un chat, il y a un maman, il y a un papa, because they don't link to each other, right? So there's a difference between the book that has the sentence that matches the picture and the only thing that changes is the end word that matches the picture. Exactly. those are what would be used as sort of reading books that you would send home to work on fluency, for example, the yes. child getting used to reading in a fluent pattern versus what you're talking about where um, it's an and sound. It's so the, I don't know, the rat ran into the fan, right? So there's yes. your notable, you're, you're looking at the and sound in that sentence and you may or may not have a picture there, right? Yep. So um, just to make the difference for families so that they understand a little bit of, you know, the, the books that kind of have the, the rhyming sentence, I guess, maybe is kind of the best way to put it or, or the sentence that is always the same minus a word or the books that focus on a sound. Mm-hmm. Where, if parents are thinking, okay, well, what do I start with? Do I start with a decodable book? Or do I start with the book with the sentence that is always the same short of a word that changes? Do you start with the decode and then you go to the fluency books or do you do the fluency and then the decode or does it matter? I would start with the decode, then the fluency, but I would also start with teaching them the code. So step back even further. Okay. So I I love certain programs because they do go as far as starting with teaching syllables, but that doesn't start deep enough. You need to start with teaching them the code because once you've taught them the code, they can read absolutely anything. It does not mean if they like little kids, you could have them once they learn the code to read a university textbook. That does not mean they understand a word they read, but it means they can read it out loud. They can say it with confidence. Right. And they'll be able to pick out the small words that they do know. Right. And there's a difference between reading and comprehension, right? So when when teachers are assessing reading, we are not only assessing for fluency, ability to decode, ability to read, we are also saying they need to understand what they've read. Uh, I'll give an example for myself, my son who's dyslexic, when we initially had his assessment done, his ability to read was very, very high but his ability to understand what he was reading was extremely low. And the psychologist basically said to us, he's a non-reader. And I was like, what do you mean? He's reading like Harry Potter. And she was like, 
Yes, but he understands nothing of the story. He has not remembered the story. Mm-hmm. He couldn't tell you what happened. He yep. can decode. He's got the code, but he hasn't been able to connect the code to the importance of what is being read. And that is as important to reading. I mean, you wouldn't want to read a newspaper article just for the sake of reading it. You read it because you need to get it, gather information. Um, you have to understand the meaning. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about your program. And, you know, we're going to kind of, your program is extensive. It is very um, well thought out and, and covers the gamut. And we could talk about just what your program does in, you know, an hour and we would still wouldn't have dived into all of it. But let's talk, I want you to talk a little bit about your program and why it's different than some of the other programs that are out there. It's different because I delve more on phonemic awareness and morphems than simply here's your individual letter. I actually teach them, here's the code. It's based on the 90-10 rule. 90% of the time you see this letter combination, that's what it's going to say. 10% of the time there's going to be a silent E or a liaison, right? So it's this is the code. So the grade one, grade two, they don't need to understand the linguistic theory of why it is. You can teach them that grade three, grade four, if, if that's your burning desire to teach them that. But they don't need to understand the why of it at that point. They need to understand this is what happens because we're building language skills with them. We're not, oh, how do I say it? Um, they're not fully developed readers already. So they need to understand the what, not the why. Yep. But the why needs to come eventually. And so that happens when you get into grade three and you start conjugating verbs, then you can say, this is why this is the way it is. But I think it's also important in those early sort of, um, I know here where I teach, uh, French immersion starts in, in SK. So can, mm-hmm. Junior kindergarten, they get sort of the first English base. We kind of work on the the basics and then, you know, you move on. But when you're younger, you need to um, be allowed to play with the letters and the sounds to understand them and and experience them on their own without worrying about the tenses and the passé composé and the imparfait and all of that. Because at the end of the day, you want to be able to create a sentence that is cohesive and understanding and and playing with the language and making the errors, right? So let's talk about the importance of making errors. So I know a lot of kids get very upset. Oh, I didn't get it perfect. But what I try to instill in my students and my own children, I did this a lot this week, homeschooling my kids here this week, a lot of like, they'd get upset. Oh, I got that wrong. But what did you learn from getting that wrong? You've learned that it should go another way or it needs to fit in another way. So that's the other kind of piece that's great about starting with those things early and worrying about the other stuff later. Well, exactly. Because if they make mistakes when they're younger and they've learned something from it, they're starting to develop critical thinking skills. And that is so crucial for so many kids. Yeah. And critical thinking is one of those things that we as educators are working very hard to get our students to learn globally in terms of in everything they do, not just in reading. Right. But if you can critically think on something that you can be successful on. So if reading isn't your strength, but if you can find a way to build the strengths in by teaching them the building blocks and getting just learning that B says B as a start 
And then you can add in other pieces and learning the different vowels, the long and the short vowels, and then how that connects to the consonants, right? So it's, it's all stepping stones and, and there's a base layer at which we need to start at in order to build that success. And it doesn't matter where you live, where you're from, what happens in your house at the end of the day, B says, but that is the one thing we can all be sure of, right? A has two sounds it can make depending on what it's connected with, right? So those are kind of the, the foundational building blocks. So with your program, how does it tie in um, the phonological awareness and the processing? So your program ties in both of those together. How does it do that? So what we do is we take explicit, because with, with reading, there's two critical points, right? There's the sound component and your working component, like your working memory. So with the sound component, which is auditory processing, you have to know how to make the distinctions in your sounds. So it, when you process speech sound, that's the fastest operation your brain can do. And so if we teach explicit letter sounds, your brain can process that quickly. So through teaching the code explicitly, we take your brain from L2 learning to actual L1 working memory automat automaticity, right? So it's like automatic, it's there, you know it, and you just know it, you don't question it. That's just a fact in your head forever and ever and ever, right? Which is what you want when you're learning a language because if you can decode and you can read and you can instantly see what that's supposed to say, you can read out loud with fluidity, which builds fluency, which once you've built fluency, comprehension develops and you can pick out more meaning because then you get it because you can, when you read, you can infer the jokes that are in the book. So I always know when my children get it that I, and I say my children, cause I think they're mine, but they're not. Um, I always know when they get it, when they start reading books, and they start laughing or they smile or they show some kind of emotion because all of a sudden they got it. It's not just we're trying to read the words. We understood what the words meant. Well, that makes reading enjoyable, right? You're yep. not struggling. And uh, it's no fun to sit there and stumble over every single word and the energy that that takes. Oh, and the I mean, poor things hard. are just working twice as hard as everybody else. Yeah, they're like the hamsters in the wheel, right? They're yeah. running, 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 but they're not really <laughs> getting anywhere. Um, so having um, access to programs such as this, as your Watermelon Works program, um, is uh, is phenomenal because it is, I mean, for me, when I look at it, it's sort of the equivalent to some of the uh, structured literacy programs that are out there in English. And the reason I wanted to highlight your program is that uh, there, I, well, there might be many, but I have not found them in all of my digging and searching and full-time job of trying to find resources for my kids. I haven't found really any outside of what you are doing. So I think it's just so great. I think partly because they can't, I patented it. Right. <laughs> right. So that's the other piece of it. Right. So, um, so, so I, I, and I don't know if you can talk to this, but I'm going to ask you this question because when I think about reading and literacy and languages, I, I look at you as a little bit of an expert. I know you are not a teacher in the sense of like having gone to teacher's college, teacher training, whatever you want to call it. You, you haven't done, you are not the classroom teacher thing. It's not your thing. Linguistics is your thing. Yeah. And so when I ask you this question, if you full stop, you're like, I I'm not sure, right? 
Fair enough. But I'm wondering, because you have a lot of experience at this point. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. This isn't like you just started. Nope. So are there signs that parents can look for to know that their child is struggling to read? Do you think? Yes, but I can't name them. Right. Okay. I, so that's not my area of expertise. I'm going to start right there. Mm -hmm. For sure. But I know that if your child writes mirrors backwards, like if you write completely backwards and they're perfect letters, but they're completely backwards, go find help. Mm -hmm. If your child doesn't have recognition from one page to the another, to another with uh, simple, simple text, it's a red flag, but not necessarily a serious one. It could be but it might be nothing. It could be just, you know, they haven't mastered that particular skill. Uh, but other than those two things, I really don't know. I think the other thing that's important to kind of rephrase again, because we said it at the beginning, that really support in reading can happen at any point. It doesn't have to be in grade one and grade two. Like if it's grade nine, if it's grade 12, if it's university, if it's you are an adult and you are working in um, a working environment where you need to be able to function to read in French and you are struggling, there is no reason why you couldn't gain those skills because if you have the building blocks in English or even if you, even if some of the blocks are missing, it doesn't mean that you can't get support to put the rest of the blocks in place. Well, exactly. I mean, I've taught 70 year olds how to speak French uh, in the past and they have been successful. They just wanted conversational French. So when they went to their trip to France, they actually could have a conversation and it actually turned out well, cause he was, he was always the nervous one, not so much her. And so when they got on the bus to France, they asked Did anyone know the word for scarecrow cause they were going through a field and there was one. He puts his hand up and he goes, yes, I do. So he told them and they were all happy and his wife goes, I never, ever thought you'd be using that word. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. But it worked out well. So, I mean, anybody can learn at any given point. You just have to learn the code and then the rest will develop. The rest will come. So I was at a conference one year and I happened to be the first booth when you walked into this room and they said, well, what's the best thing to buy in here? And I said, I'm not going to tell you which is the best because this is how this works. I'm the foundation. You're going to build a house. You need a solid foundation for your house. Everything else in this room, they are the walls. They are specialty rooms. I mean, one's your music room, one's your gym room, one's your science room. But you need a solid foundation to be able to build those walls and play in those rooms. Yep. Well, if you can't read right? You can't write very well. If you can't yep. read, if it's a math problem, then you need to read it. You can't read it. If you need to take an exam and there's an instruction on step one, step two, step three, and you can't read it. Um, Ikea books are great because there's no reading in them for the instructions. But if you can't even understand the pattern, but if you can't even understand the pattern of the, of the frames, right? That's all reading. It's just, there's no words, but it's still the same concept. Yep. You have to understand the patterns and the building blocks and that all has to start somewhere. So, yep. yeah. So let's talk about your program specifically. I want you to um, tell people where they can find out about it, what it is, what it does, where it starts. Give me the whole picture. It starts with Truce One, Kit One, and it's four levels of play in the box. So you have the sound game, which you can play like concentration, go fish, flashcards, yeah, I mean, there's lots of other ways to play it as well. As if you like, it depends on how creative you want to be with it. 
Level two is sound blending. So they learn to put consonants with vowel sounds. And that's all that is. You're not making words. You can make rhyming sounds like by using different cards at the same vowel sound. But it's not about making words. It's just about initial syllable building. Level three is the sound cards and the consonant cards. You use those together and you make simple words. So you make CV words or you can make V words, but or you can make seven, seven card long words. So like épouvantail. And so it's all about realizing that Epouvantai has seven cards, but there's a truckload of letters in there. Um, and then level four is a repeat after me audio that comes in the box with the sound sheet. So you just repeat after it. Space is already provided for you. So you just play it through. If you did just that component, which takes about 15 minutes every day for a week, maybe two weeks, depending. I can guarantee you your reading will go up just by doing that portion. There's also a level two with harder phonemes. So they learn that O-U-I-L-L-E is not U-L-L. It's U-I. <laughs> but it's just, it's learning the code. It's learning the sounds of the code because when people tell me spelling doesn't matter, I, I get kind of upset. Spelling very much matters. Spelling indicates to you, is it plural? Is it singular? Is it feminine? Is it, I, I mean, what's the difference when you hear j'aurais fait et j'aurais fait? So if you know the difference between those two things, you'll be okay. But if you don't know the difference and the difference how to spell it, then you've either committed to doing something or you could have done something. And that's the difference in tenses, right? But that's all because of the sound. Um, so you learn things like that. Then there's decodable eBooks, there's wall charts, there's sound bingo, there's, uh, digital components. So there's, uh, work to go with the books. There's evaluations to go with the books you can use in the first kit, even just the blue cards. You can use that as an assessment tool, right? So it's okay. What, what do you know? What don't you know? And then look at the pile they don't know and focus on that and bring their skill up. Right. So is it more of um, a packet that parents solely can use or a packet that educators solely can use, or it could be either parent or educator? Anyone can use it. Okay. Anyone. I, and currently I have parents using it. I currently have educators using it. I have a couple of school boards that have taken it on, which thank you very much. <laughs> I think it's great. No, I think but it's it great works. I think because having um, worked in French immersion schools in, in the past, I'm not currently working in a French immersion school, but I have in the past. And what I find is oftentimes we get great resources for our English language students. They're solid, they're foundational, they're, they're built on a program um, and they take you step by step. But the poor French immersion teachers are working so hard just to create programs, find programs, build them from the base. And this is a program that doesn't need to be found. Like it's all, it's done. It's, it's a packet, it's done, it's all there. Um, and I think, you know, our French immersion teachers and our French language teachers work really hard. But when you work in a province that, um, although French is, 
infused throughout our province. It is not the main language within our province. And so it is very hard to find resources. My kids' teachers often go to Quebec in the summer um, mm-hmm. and go to the, the educational stores out there and bring the stuff back with them, right? So yep. um, I, it, it just is, right? And, and it's, there's it's no fault of anyone's. It's just the way things are set up. So I think when I can yep. share resources with people that are specific to their needs, I try to do that because I don't want people to have to dig and dig and dig and dig to find stuff that is there, but it's so far down from the surface that it takes so much time to find that you sort of give up in the end. You're like, whatever, I'll find it later. And then you forget. So, so Jenny, thank you so much for coming on the show and and talking just a little bit about uh, phonological awareness and processing and and kind of what your program does and and remind parents and and adults even, you know, that anyone can learn these if they need them and, and it's never too late to start with support. So I really appreciate the time today. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are looking for help and support in creating a roadmap to success for your child through challenging times, contact me at accesstoeducation.com. I work with all families to help them build power and knowledge in understanding their child's needs and how to build success through advocacy. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Access to Education Toronto. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so together we can create your roadmap to success.